Hello and welcome back to The Late Tackle. I'm Dagan Martin and thanks for listening. Since there was no Six Nations this weekend, I wanted to discuss round three of the Super Rugby. I've been wanting to discuss the Super Rugby since I started the podcast, but it's just been really difficult to keep up with all the rugby, especially with the Six Nations going on. I love Super Rugby and I think it's the best competition out there for Rugby Union. But to start us off, I want to go back to our previous segment of South African rugby players doing really well overseas. Today I want to talk about a player with immense talent, but that is a little bit under the radar at the moment. This being Garth April. The 28-year-old fly half and fullback grew up in South Africa and went on to play at the Lions, Boland, Western Province and finally settled at the Sharks, where he had a great breakout Curry Cup season and later slotted into the Sharks Super Rugby season. In 2017, an unnamed disciplinary issue saw April left out of the Curry Cup team, and eventually, it seemed, out of the whole squad, which is a huge pity as he was finding some great form. I did research and couldn't find what exactly he had done, but in a press release, it said, The coaching staff are taking a strong stance around values of work ethic, teamwork, and respect. It just seems like internal issues stunted his development. But now he is catching my attention at the struggling Sunwolves. He successfully made the move to Japan and then later, after battling through a shoulder injury, found his place in the starting lineup of the Sunwolves. He had immediate impact as the Sunwolves secured a shock victory over the Rebels, where he was instrumental. However, he does need to improve on his goal kicking though. In addition to this, forgotten Springbok Rudy Page is also playing alongside April at the Sunwolves, where they are creating magic at a team destined for failure. The first match that I'm going to be talking about of Round 3 Super Rugby is Jaguars versus Reds. This match was an exciting tri-fest, but wow was it a game of halves. The Reds dominated the first half and then let the Jaguars decimate them in the second, with a final score of 43-27 to the Jaguars. But the game was much closer than the score line shows for the majority of the match. The Reds' first try came after sustained attacking pressure with advantage. At the 10-minute mark, it seemed like they were going backwards with each big hit. But a brilliant dummy from the number 10, James O'Connor, followed by a neat step, punched a hole through the Jaguars' defence. O'Connor then freed his arms and offloaded to the number 9 Tate McDermott, who started off the play. He still had work to do though, and broke through two tackles to score under the poles. 18 minutes in, the Reds forwards and backs linked up amazingly to score their second try. Lucan Salakai Loto found space on the edge of the field and offloaded early to Tanila Tupo, who popped it off to the speedster's bait who offloaded it to Liam Wright, who broke through the final defender to score. What started with the forwards ended with them. This try showed off the skill the Reds pack have. There was a massive hit by winger Chris Fayo-Sautia on 15. After a lengthy TMO decision, it was decided that it was only a penalty. But I believe he was very lucky to escape a yellow card. To me, it looked like it slipped up off his shoulder into his head, and it was very lucky because it clearly hit him on the chin. Following this penalty, the Jaguars kicked to the corner and did what they do best and pushed over the line with an impressive driving maul, with Julian Montoya at the back. 
The Reds were quick to answer that trial with their own. A solid scrum was the foundation for a set piece that saw Spate break through a half gap, then, for a second time, do an offload out of the tackle to Campbell, who then offloaded to Chris Fire-Sotia, who scored in the corner. Should he have been on the field at all? I'm not sure. But with this try, it extended the Reds' lead to 19-7, half an hour in. Hunter Pasami threw a dummy pass and broke through the Jaguars' line. Tupo showed some impressive pace to keep up with him and received the offload. Unfortunately, he was stopped just short of the line. In the following phase, a looping pass by McDermott set up, you guessed it, fire Satya. But by now, he would have just come back onto the pitch. At 40 minutes, after a sustained attack and playing with penalty advantage, a cross-kick by 10, Domingo Miotti, sets up Buffelli to score. He initially drops it, and it comes off a red player. He then regathers and scores, but the TMO judges it a try. Jaguars started the second half well, scoring off another impressive driving mall. Montoya stands up, holding the ball. The Reds then had an opportunity to score, but with a bit of honesty from James O'Connor, the ball was knocked on after an impressive scrum and a try went begging. A yellow card to Liam Wright for too many penalties in their 22 led to a hat-trick for Julian Montoya. What a brilliant comeback by the Jaguars. Their driving more was their saving grace. With the kick, they took the lead. Another driving more secured the comeback win for the Jaguars and any dominance the Reds had in the first half was now gone. But now it was the back's turn to rub it in the Reds' face. Poor defence allowed Thomas Kubeli to run in the final try of the game, with the score being 43-27. Montoya has to be my man of the match, because when a forward gets a hat-trick, he has to be. The next game I'm going to be discussing is Blues versus Crusaders. Despite a good start by the Blues, the Crusaders made 11 consecutive wins in a row. The Blues struck first with a dart from number 10, Stefan Perifeto, who was just brought down one meter short of the line by an impressive tackle. But a couple of phases later, Blues captain Patrick Tupulatu bashed his way through the defensive line and at a full stretch dotted the ball down. Oli Yaga took a knock to the head from his own teammate Cody Taylor and had to be helped off the field. 24 minutes in, George Bridge scored in the corner for the Crusaders, getting them the lead. The all-black Jack Goodhue showed his skills with a chicken wing pass after drawing in the final Blues defender. They ended the half with a try each, but the second half saw the Crusaders take the reins on the match. Richie Mwanga scored early in the second half, darting through the middle of the Blues defense untouched. Then, Jack Goodhue sealed the game with a clever chip that was gathered by Mwanga then popped it back to Goodhue, who finished it off, the final score being 8-25. Moanga and Goodhue, both New Zealand players, played brilliantly together. But my man of the match has to be Goodhue. He was involved in almost every try and scored one himself. Lions vs Stormers was an incredibly tight game and had me on the edge of my seat right until the end. But from the beginning, you didn't expect it, because the Stormers started so superbly with two quick tries. One from a powerful run by Joano Augustus, who just reached over the line to score. The second came from Godlin Masimla, who intercepted and showed his pace to run from the 50-meter line to score in the corner. The Lions then scored two of their own. The first came despite resolute defense from the Stormers. It came from a pass inside to Andres Kutsia, who drove over the line. 
The second, coming shortly after that, was created by a pinpoint accurate kick from Alton Yankees to Cortinal Scorsan, who cut back inside to score near the post. Stormers then started the second half as they did the first, with a try. A change of direction caught the Lions' defense off guard and Augustus broke down the line and offloaded to Sergio Peterson, who scored in the corner. The Lions almost scored a 90-meter try with the kick from Yankees, but a foot and touch halted their attack. They did finish shortly after, though, as a great pass to Yankees, who ran through a gap in the Stormers' defense. They scored again with Marnie Ross, who sold the dummy and ran through a half gap. He then offloaded to Hakjiva Diamani, who offloaded to Dan Creel, who finished off a well-worked try. This took a lead for the Lions by one, but the game came to an ultimate climax when on the 18-minute mark, the Stormers scored to steal the game at the death. What a thrilling matchup. A skip pass to Peterson, who then passed to Ronald to end the game on a high. The final score being 30-33. I honestly struggled to pick just one player, but I think Augustus played very well and he is still very young. The next match was a big disappointment for me being a Sharks fan. This was Sharks versus Hurricanes. Right from the beginning, it was a loose game and both teams knocked on the ball, meaning that they couldn't get any real continuity. And the Sharks scrum and lineup were struggling against the Hurricanes from the beginning. After sustained pressure, the Sharks seemingly scored, but the try was disallowed because of a forward pass that was floated to Madosh Tambwe. But shortly after this, the Sharks were able to score as an intercept by Lukanya Um stopped the Hurricanes attack in their 22. He then sped towards the try line and made a last second pass to Tambwe, who had the pace to finish under the poles. After seven penalties conceded in their own 22, the Sharks received a warning and the Hurricanes set up a five meter scrum. Geordie Barrett swung the ball down the line to put Wes Coulson, who was also a South African born player, in the corner. I believe that a key factor to the game was the fact that star player Kerwin Bosch was out of the match due to personal reasons. And then second place, Flyhoff, Boerta Chamberlain, had to be subbed off for a scrum off, Sonelli Nohamba, after an injury. But the Sharks finally created some phases, and playing with advantage, they scored a try of their own to regain the lead. Tyler Paul forced his way through the defense. But the Hurricanes were quick to bounce back and the Sharks' terrible defense of a brilliant cross kick by Jordi Barrett to Ngani Laumapi saw him in space. He then stepped Nohamba and left him in his dust to score. If Tambwe had caught it, it would have been a try on the other side, but he overcommitted and left space behind him. Early in the second half, a poor clearance kick by Fussy gave Geordie Barrett time and space to set up Ben Lum, who cut through the Sharks' defense to score. Another cross kick that wasn't well fielded allowed Lum to score his second try of the match. This was caused by poor communication between the back of the Sharks to let him just run through. Then, to add insult to injury, Dane Coles scored a try on his return from a 5-meter driving mall. But the Sharks then minimized the embarrassment by scoring a try from a Hurricanes lineout on their 22. Nzamo Majola scored the consolation try. Dane Coles was then very lucky to escape a yellow card as he hit a cheap shot on Nohamba as he was on the floor. All of this said, the Sharks did do well to stop a bonus point, the final score being 38 22. 
My man of the match has to be Lum, who rampaged through the Sharks' defence. Brumbies then faced the Highlanders. This game was just as thrilling as the Lions-Stormers game, and like that, a try was scored after the 80 minutes. Super Rugby, in my opinion, is the best competition. It's high scoring, but still has close games. And now it seems like the South African and Australian franchises are finding form, finally, and actually competing against the New Zealand teams. Brumbies opened the scoring 10 minutes in with a strong driving maul. Seemed like the Highlanders had stopped them, but the Brumbies powered through to score. The hooker, Fala Fainga, in control at the back, scored the first try. The Brumbies then replicated this try, but on the other side of the field, for Fainga's second try. The Highlanders then replied when Noah Lelezio's clearance kick was charged down and Jonah Nareki could score a try seemingly out of nothing. A penalty to the Highlanders ensured they finished the half on top by one. It seems like the only way for the Brumbies to score is with their impressive driving malls, and this means that only Fahingas seems to be the one scoring all the tries. He scored the Brumbies' third try and got his hat-trick 60-odd minutes in. A late penalty to the Brumbies extended their lead by six, with only a couple minutes left. The game seemed to have been won, but the Highlanders had other ideas. They tried to recreate the driving mall that worked against them so well, but were stopped illegally, resulting in a yellow card. 83 minutes into the game, the Highlanders scored, and the kick that was fortunately easy won the game for them. Final score, 22-23. My man of the match has got to be Fanga. Even though the Brumbies lost, because whenever a forward can score a hat-trick, like I said earlier, that's special. Sunwolves versus Chiefs. I love an underdog story. And I am a huge fan of the Sunwolves, even though they lose a lot. I will probably be one of the few who are sad to see them go, because I see some real potential in the team. And with Japan's World Cup success and the fans that it created, they could draw numbers to watch the Super Rugby, but that is an unpopular opinion. I know. 2020 will be the last season for the Sunwolves in Super Rugby, and you can see why when they were comprehensively defeated by the Chiefs. But the Sunwolves did start well, scoring the first try, through, of course, Garth April, who despite his small frame, bashed his way over the try line. But it didn't take long for the Chiefs to show their class as they executed a set move to perfection that saw Damien McKenzie create space for Solomon Alamalo to score in the corner, followed by another try on the wing, but this time the number 14, Sean Stevenson. Chiefs' third try came from a long line-out ball that saw scrum-off Brad Weber bash over his opposite number to score, followed by another try that saw McKenzie break through the Sunwolves' defence and link up with Alamalo once again, who graciously, once over the line, gave it back to McKenzie to score. On the half-time hooter, the Sunwolves drove a maul across the line to score, giving them some hope. The Sunwolves then, instead of catching the pass, left the ball behind them, which was snatched up by Lachlan Boschier for Chiefs, who ran almost 50 metres to score. But the Sunwolves then showed a flash of attacking excitement as their backs linked up well to force Shogo Nakano over the line, but the Chiefs were too good for them, as Quinn Tupaia showed incredible strength to barge his way through multiple would-be tacklers to score after a scrum. 
The backs kept up the pressure by scoring the final try of the match. Stevenson kicked a grubber that was later collected by fly half Caleb Trask to finish the game off with a convincing scoreline of 43-17. My man of the match has to be McKenzie, who had a hand in a lot of the attack from the Chiefs. The next game is Rebels versus Waratahs. The weather conditions were terrible, with rain pelting down on the players. But it is good news for Australia in general, as it helps contain the wildfires. Despite the conditions, the Rebels scored early, with Marika Korobeti scoring in the corner. The props then linked up well for Waratahs, driving over the line just after the start of the second half. The Rebels then scored two tries that were unanswered, both from Andrew Kellaway, both in the same corner that sealed the game. The final score was 24-10. Kellaway, even though a substitute, was a standout player for me, scoring two crucial tries, and he is the man of the match for me. Now, finally, I'm going to give myself the impossible task of predicting the Super Rugby Round 4 results. Here we go, here goes nothing. The Crusaders will beat the Highlanders. The Sharks will beat the Rebels. The Chiefs will beat the Brumbies. The Reds will beat the Sunwolves. And wow, Jaguar Stormers is going to be a great game. But I think the Stormers will take it. And finally, the Blues will beat the Bulls. Or I could be completely wrong, but we will see. I also just want to apologize for butchering the New Zealand, um, the Maori names. It's really difficult to try and pronounce some of them, but I hope to get better in the future. And thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, and comment, and let me know if you enjoyed the Super Rugby content. Thanks again. Bye.